ಕಂಸಚಾಣೂರಮರ್ದನಂ ದೇವಕೀ ಪರಮಂದಂ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ವಂದೇ ಜಗದ್ಗುರು ಸೊ ಇಂದ ಭಗವದ್ಗೀತಾ ಫಿಫ್ತ್ ಚಾಪ್ಟರ್ ವಿ ಜಸ್ಟ್ ಡೆಡ್ ದ ಫೋರ್ತ್ ವರ್ಸ್ ಸಾಂಖ್ಯ ಯೋಗೋ ಪೃಥಕ್ ಬಾಲ ಪ್ರವದಂತಿ ನ ಪಂಡಿತ ಏಕಮಿ ಆಸ್ಥಿತ ಸಮ್ಯಕ್ ಉಭಯೋರ್ವಿಂದತೆ ಫಲಂ ದೋಸ್ ಹೂ ಆರ್ ಚೈಲ್ಡಿಶ್ ಆರ್ ಫುಲಿಶ್ ದೇ ಸೇ ಸಾಂಖ್ಯ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಯೋಗ ಆರ್ ಸೆಪರೇಟ್ ಅ ಡಿಫ್ರೆಂಟ್ ಅ ಟೂ ಡಿಫ್ರೆಂಟ್ ಥಿಂಗ್ಸ್ ನ ಪಂಡಿತ ನಾಟ್ ದ ವೈಸ್ ಒನ್ಸ್ ವೈಸ್ ಒನ್ಸ್ ಡೋಂಟ್ ಕನ್ಸಿಡರ್ ದಟ್ ದೀಸ್ ಟೂ ಆರ್ ಡಿಫ್ರೆಂಟ್ ಇಫ್ ಯು ಫಾಲೋ ಒನ್ ಹೋಲ್ಡ್ ಆನ್ ಟು ಒನ್ ಯು ವಿಲ್ ಗೆಟ್ ದ ರಿಸಲ್ಟ್ ವಿಚ್ ಈಸ್ ದ ಗೋಲ್ ಆಫ್ ಬೋತ್ ಆಫ್ ದಮ್ ನೋ ವಾಟ್ ಈಸ್ ಬೀಂಗ್ ಟಾಕ್ಟ್ ಅಬೌಟ್ ಹಿಯರ್ ದೇರ್ ಆರ್ ವಿ ಸಾವ್ ವಿ ಹವ್ ಆಲ್ರೆಡಿ ಸೀನ್ ದಿಸ್ ದೇರ್ ಆರ್ ಟೂ ಲೆವೆಲ್ಸ್ ಆಫ್ ಮೀನಿಂಗ್ ಹಿಯರ್ ಒನ್ ಇಸ್ ದ ಸ್ಟ್ರೇಟ್ ಫಾರ್ವರ್ಡ್ ಒನ್ where if you interpret yoga as karma yoga and sankhya as gyana yoga and therefore to say that sankhya yoga, yoga uh, karma yoga and gyana yoga are two different projects they are not two different projects they are two different stages on the same path it's like if you want to f- fly to california or somewhere like that you need to take a cab from the vedanta society to laguardia and then take a plane from laguardia to california and it is childish to say that the two are different that they have uh, different goals or purposes um you hold on to each one when the time comes and you will get the result of both the result of both is that you get to go to california or wherever you want to go so that's the straightforward thing practice karma yoga that gives you purity of mind and meditation which gives you concentration of mind with a prepared mind with a character formed one can engage in vedantic inquiry which gives us enlightenment so um that's a straightforward thing and we have heard this over and over again in the second chapter in the third chapter in the fourth chapter but a new there's a new wrinkle here what makes it interesting is um arjuna on shankaracharya's interpretation arjuna is asking is not asking that old question he is asking that i understand that there is no choice as far as spiritual practice is concerned the, all the yogas have to be practiced whether it is work or whether it is meditation or philosophical inquiry self inquiry they all have to be gone through but what i'm asking is my choice of the way i live do i continue as a householder as a man in the world doing the things which i'm doing right now and yes i understand you have told me how i can spiritualize all of this i all understand all of that but there is a choice it seems to me that i can give all this up and become a monk uh, my whole way of life can change remember at that time already monasticism was widespread even by the time of the buddha you see that there were monks of various types in indian society at that time and it was understood that if one wanted to be a specialist in spirituality uh, you know like a one pointed dedicated spiritual seeker at some point one would give up everything else and you know throw oneself entirely into spiritual practice and the monastic life was designed for that kind of a, a project so arjuna is asking again on shankaracharya's interpretation arjuna is asking here so do i do this which i am doing right now and i understand how it can be spiritualized you have told me karma yoga but or i can give up householder life and become a monk a formal monk 
in which case there will be a big difference then i would not be living this kind of a life i would not be fighting this war um i may be you know i might be in the mountains i might be begging for my food and meditating all day long things like that i might be doing an entirely entirely different kind of life i will lead so aren't they two two different things that's why um here if you interpret sankhya as the life of the monk and yoga as the life of a spiritual seeker in householder life converting all activities into karma yoga then this shloka this verse takes on a different meaning is asking uh, so so krishna is saying that no the two are not different people think they have two different goals maybe the householder's goal is a worldly goal and the sanyasi's goal monk's goal is a spiritual goal but no one can be a spiritual seeker um it it does not matter what your uh, external circumstances are one can be a spiritual seeker he says ekam api asthita sincerely following any one path one reaches the common goal of both paths so here he is not talking about karma yoga gyana yoga karma yoga gyana yoga have to be undergone whether you are a monk or you are a householder um, rituals and um, uh, actions you, there are so many secular and sacred actions which you have to perform when you are in the householder life but equally so in a monastic life also there is a different kind of actions but still actions have to be undergone in monastic life and you have to come to vedanta you have to come to the spiritual this this self enquiry whether you are in um, householder life or you are in monastic life so that is sri krishna's answer to arjuna's question and it's an important question people do uh, want do think when you are a spiritual seeker the question does come that should i formally become a monk should i become monk like everybody has to become monk like ultimately uh, if you are a spiritual seeker you become inevitably you become some kind of an ascetic uh, that your external worldly engagements dwindle automatically i think they dwindle anyway with maturity in life uh, but if you are consciously seeking enlightenment that should happen now verse number 5 same theme con- con- continues verse number 5 ஒன் one must inter- be able to interpret it at the two levels of meaning one level one level where you are interpreting this as gyana yoga and karma yoga so if you interpret as gyana yoga and karma yoga the the meaning of the verse is what gyana yoga ultim- gives you that enlightenment and moksha karma yoga also will give you that through gyana yoga that is a standard advaitic approach karma yoga will purify your mind and then through gyana yoga the way of knowledge you will get enlightenment ekam sankhyam cha yogam cha so it is one path the cab you take from uh, the ashram and the plane you take from the airport they are all part of the same path you are taking 
ekam sankhyam cha yogam cha gyana yoga and karma yoga are part of the same path ya pashyati the one who sees this sapashyati that person truly understands the secret of spiritual practice or the second level of meaning householder or monk that's the second level of meaning then what the monks attain that the householders also householder means what kind of householder spiritual seeker look one thing is there a monk is by definition a spiritual seeker otherwise one would not become a monk i mean any other purpose for becoming a monk would be an insincere thing so anybody who seriously wants to take up to formal monastic life is obviously has to be a spiritual seeker there's no other purpose for becoming a monk um the the there is a second the purpose of becoming a householder one may want worldly success and pleasure and you know just lead a typical worldly life and that's also the path of a householder and that's also sanctioned you see that's an interesting thing religion sanctions it every religion has to agree that uh, um, ultimate enlightenment is an ultimate purpose it may not be the immediate purpose of most people so if if immediately your purpose is not ultimate enlightenment will religion abandon will you have nothing to do with religion of course not the vast masses of people in every religion in every society in the world they are religious in the sense of religious householder so the thousands of people who queue up in in lines before the hindu temples or who are praying in the mosques or attend thousands mega church you know sunday service mega church thousands of people so what are they they are neither of these two classes what is being mentioned here spiritual seeker who has become a formally was formally become a monk and spiritual seeker who remains in the householder life these are two categories who are not part of the conventional run of religious people so all those who are here you have to be uh, that this second category of person uh, who are maybe you are in worldly life but they're all spiritual seekers otherwise there's no point in studying the gita as such then ekam sankhyam cha yogam cha if you interpret in that way then in that case monastic life and spiritual life in the world both of them lead to the same goal ya paschati sapaschati the one who sees this truly sees this question has to be clarified because it's not only in arjuna's time krishna's time even till today the moment anybody i have seen young persons become interested in spiritual life the parents start you know either teasing them or seriously becoming worried are you going to become a monk are you going to become a nun or something like that uh, you know so the immediately the thought is that if you are seriously interested in spiritual life you are going to become a sanyasi not necessarily one may remain in in householder life but be a spiritual um, serious spiritual seeker so in householders we are talking about two kinds of householders so two kinds of people in the world one is people like those who are here they are already seekers of spiritual life they are seekers their goal is enlightenment god realization whatever you call it moksha uh, salvation nirvana which is the highest goal in every religion so that's that's the goal you have made up your mind that's the goal there is another category of householders uh, who are also religious but they are not specifically they are not seeking uh, moksha god realization they are not seeking that they are just seeking a good life in this world and hopefully after death we'll go to heaven 
And there may be another category of householders lower than that, you know, that uh, who are not at all interested in any kind of religion, not moksha, not uh, uh, your worldly kind of religion also, nothing. We just don't, are not interested. Just committed materialist. This life and this life alone. Um, so that is also possible. This category, four categories I've mentioned at different uh, times earlier. So there are four ways of classifying people in this spiritual scale. So the, the, the categories are Pamara, instinctive life, an animalistic instinctive life. Then Dharmika Vishayi, worldly person, but religious. Then Sadhaka, spiritual seeker. And then Siddha, the perfected one, enlightened one. Four categories. And the names speak for themselves. The Pamara means instinctive kind of life. No particular interest in higher life, uh, spirituality, philosophy, nothing of, of that sort. Even the worldly kind of belief, I will do a little ritual or pray to God, God will help me. That belief is also not there. Just instinctively, a pursuit of artha and karma, of uh, pleasure and you know success in the world. That's it. And you see a lot of such people. You see a lot of such people. And they're, of course, at every level, there are gradations. In this category, there may be a gradation from a complete, let us say, a, you know, a drug addict who is just living for the next dose of the drug, and that's it. So a complete failure in life and maybe broken down, and alcoholic or drug addict or something like that. That's the only point, a very instinctive kind of life, just living from one high to another high and like that. Or in this life itself, in, in this category itself, Palmer, instinctive. You might see a pretty sophisticated person, you know, materialist uh, uh, who is uh, interested in, who may be uh, interested in the arts and interested in, in creating a business empire and um, doing quite well, you know, in the world, pretty successful and happy in the world. But they're all in that same category, one broad range. One thing that characterizes them is no interest in religion, spirituality, belief in God, nothing. No transcendent part. There's nothing transcendent to their life. That's something they may even go out of their way to deny that such a thing is there. It is sometimes necessary if you want to live such a life, uh, an intelligent person will feel like denying the reality of religion and spirituality. Otherwise, an intelligent person cannot live such a life. Then the next level. Why would I say next level? Why not just this? The point is, at this level, what, what happens is the law of karma operates. And this such persons, they pile up so much bad karma that there is suffering in this life. There's so much suffering, they begin to understand it's not working. I need something higher than this. Something There must be something better. Or maybe they don't, they don't have too much bad karma. They may do a lot of good also. So they're generally good karma. But the result of that good karma is that this realization will dawn on them. Is this all of life? Isn't there anything higher? Somehow or the other, by the very grace of God, often through suffering, often through lack of fulfillment, they come to a belief in God. Such a feeling comes that God exists. It may not happen in one lifetime. It might take another multiple lifetimes. So the next level is where the goal is still artha and karma. The goal is still worldly prosperity. The goal is still um, pleasure in the world, success in the world. 
and dharma dharma in a, in a strictly restricted vedic sense which gives you enough merit to go to heaven after death which is a continuation of this worldly life you are having a party how would you say having a blast having a blast in this world and i want to continue having a blast in heaven so continuous this thing will continue i will get enough good karma um, so dharmartha kama is the goal of this second category second category is a higher category why are they a higher category because they have a belief in something transcendent but that belief in something transcendent also helps them to lead a worldly life the difference between the first category and the second category pamara and vishayi dharmika vishayi is that the pamara is instinctive uh, is brutal is um, troublesome to oneself and to others the uh, dharmika vishayi is generally an ethical person tries to be a good person tries to be a decent person uh, has some belief in the transcendent just that my belief in god will help me in this worldly life they lead a more sustainable worldly life let's put it this way in now modern ecological terms a more sustainable life second level first level not sustainable they will exploit everything to get maximum um, you know ring the orange dry for the last drop uh, in this very uh, life right now that philosophy what yolo you live only once that philosophy first level second level is sustainable what will be good for me in my old age what will be good for children what kind of community i want to live um, what what culture and knowledge should i pass on to the children um, what kind of society i want to build all these things they think about and i need the blessings of god for all of that so this is dharmika vishay second level they are still pursuing artha and kama but now one new thing has been introduced dharma ethics religion morality that has been introduced so these are basically these people second level they are the backbone of every society civilization cannot exist without them they are the ones who keep temples and churches and all alive they are the ones who want to transmit values um, to community and to next generation so on then comes the third level the third level is sadhaka sadhaka means spiritual seeker spiritual practitioner now the goal is not dharmartha kama the goal now is moksha spiritual liberation god realization what about dharma ethics and morality earlier dharma was to have a sustainable life in this world and to give me heaven after death now dharma is what is called nishkama dharma dharma is performed moral ethical life is performed without any worldly goals it is a preparation for spiritual life dharma will prepare me for higher spiritual life without a moral and ethical foundation i cannot be a yogi i cannot be a devotee a bhakta i cannot be a gyani therefore i have a moral and ethical life without that i cannot become spiritual my spiritual life will be injured so they are called sadhakas what do they want they want moksha below them previous level dharmika vishay a, a, a religious householder or a religious worldly person what do they want dharmartha kama artha and kama pleasure and success but on the basis of morality within the limits of morality and religion and before that is instinctive life pleasure and success that's it as long as the police or the irs don't catch you 
so that kind of that is the first, that is the primitive level that the primal or instinctive level pamara then is the religious householder then is the spiritual practitioner that one is and that every level you can even immediately see there is a whole spectrum there'll be a whole range of people in that level and then finally these are the people the sarka spiritual seekers who become siddha who are enlightened what do they want they uh, they don't want any of this they don't want dharma artha kama moksha shankaracharya sings na dharmo na chartho na kamo na moksha why chidananda rupaha shivoham shivoham i am of the nature of consciousness and bliss i am shiva i am shiva if you have realized that what more do you want nothing you're perfectly all right even spiritual enlightenment you don't want because you've got it already so this is the range now why am i saying this both of these kinds of people the one who becomes a monk the one who remains as a spiritual householder both belong to which category in this four the third one sadhaka both of them belong to the third one sadhaka spiritual seeker spiritual practitioner and again whole range will be there there will be people at the bottom of that category where who are just moving from worldly good ethical worldly people to becoming committed spiritual practitioners there are people who are already committed spiritual practitioners for many many years and so on some of them might want to become monks others might want to remain as householders and krishna is talking about that now we go to what he just said is these people you are if you are a spiritual seeker that's the most important thing whether you remain as a householder you remain as a prince and do your duty uh, fight this battle make it into karma yoga or if you give up a monk uh, you give up everything and become a monk uh, then um, in both cases you will reach the same goal if you as he says ekam apyasthita samyak holding on to one sincerely somebody pointed out i think krishan pointed out after last class that is these are exactly sri ramakrishna's words it does not matter which path you take up but you have to hold on to one sincerely so you see the two things which may be slightly contradictory first of all it does not matter the path does not matter if you stop there then you will be like um i am spiritual but not religious i am spiritual i don't bother about any religion or any kind of thing and then sri ramakrishna immediately he modifies his uh, first statement he says you have to hold on to one that path does not matter yet it does matter very much you have to hold on to one sincerely ekam api asthita samyak you have to hold on to one sincerely all right then number 6 now he'll go further <laughs> in number 6 he will say that you know one more thing i've got to add here o arjuna both are true it is true being a, becoming a monk and beca- remaining a spiritual householder both will take you to moksha and both we are both are good but actually remaining as a householder and a spiritual seeker in householder life is actually little better he's going to say now uh, number 6 and there's a reason for that sanyasastu mahabaho dukham aptum ayogata yoga yukto munir brahma important warning i don't know how many of it to how many of you it applies but i have met people 
who because i'm a monk and uh, they listen to talks on youtube and all there are a small group of people who have actually sincerely they want to be give up and become monks uh, who are householders already and they they are either retired or uh, uh, for some reason or the other they want to be. so they ask for advice here is the advice krishna is giving directly he's telling this what does he say but renunciation of action o mighty armed one is difficult to attain without performance of selfless action the sage devoted to selfless action attains brahman quickly so sanyasastu mahabaho dukham aptu mayogatah without karma yoga without spiritually preparing yourself first the life of a dedicated monk is very difficult it's very difficult to be a monk yoga yukta muni just the opposite yoga yukta muni the muni the sage who has been purified by you know the ethical moral practices and karma yoga nachirena adhikachati brahma nachirena adhikachati brahma adhikachati means realizes brahman realizes i am brahman achirena very fast very easily very quickly soon so here is the point krishna is delicately putting this he has an ulterior motive also he wants arjuna to stay and fight the battle um, so it is not enough to say both are equally good then arjuna will say fine i will i'll become a monk goodbye and <laughs> tata you fight the battle drop me off at the nearest ashram krishna is the chariot charioteer so krishna says no 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 wait um dukham aptum ayogatha without specific preparations um, the life of a dedicated monk is is very uh, difficult it it is very difficult to uh, actually follow seriously so i'm using my words carefully here what happens is that we do not know how much we depend on many things which are available in the world once one becomes a spiritual seeker like all what arjuna has become and all of us are here uh, who have become spiritual seekers the monastic life at one stage it looks attractive why bother with family and money and house and responsibilities i understand it is all karma yoga but why do that uh, why not simply go to an ashram or just stay by oneself so it seems attractive but it seems attractive only because you have not tried it um, i have seen so many of people we have you know we left everything and come to the ashram and then i have myself done it leave the ashram and go into a mountain and stay by stay there by by yourself if the mind is not prepared by what do you mean by preparation of mind again and again he say prepare the mind prepare the mind what is the preparation of mind the mind has to be purified through karma yoga and it has to be concentrated through raja yoga karma and upasana this full course has to be gone through otherwise what will happen is suppose one becomes monk and now you are there in the mountains wonderful at the very beginning it will seem spectacular you know 15000 feet peaks and 20000 feet peaks and it's cool and uh, in summer at least it's not too uncomfortable and there is uh, there are waterfalls and there there are far pine forests and you're all alone and all you need is one hour a day you have to go out and even nowadays bhiksha the the arms food which is given is easily available at least in summer 
in the high mountains there are ashrams which will give monks so i used to go you just go there and you sit you'll be fed you don't have to cook you don't have to shop for groceries you don't have to cook you don't have to wash the utensils you don't have to store food from and protect it from mice a lot of mice there rats in the mountains everything is done by the people in the ashram and there are you know um, religious people who give money to these ashrams to feed the monks one hour a day so there's a saying among monks there a monk is an emperor one hour a day you are a fakir and 23 hours a day you are a badshah uh, one hour a day fakir means one hour a day you are a, you are a beggar because you have to beg for food and for 23 hours a day rest of the day you are an emperor because you don't want anything from anybody in the world you are completely free great that sounds great especially if you don't want anything else from the world you want just spiritual practice but very soon what happens is um the spectacular mountains soon seem like piles of rocks and it is cold wind blowing day and night and just water and ice all around and dark forests and nobody to talk to <laughs> talk to is a big thing you see the all the supports that we have in our life if they're taken away suddenly you will very quickly miss them it just miss them because not because they are important talking to people having company newspaper cup of tea this is not that they are important at all they are not at all important but we have become used to it we have softened we have we have developed these i will not say bad habits but they are habits and if you suddenly deprive the mind of them you will see the mind is like a mischievous child it will protest it will push back and the way the mind pushes back is very interesting suddenly you will find your spiritual practices are not uh, you know you are not interested in them anymore imagine how difficult it is you went there to get 10 12 hours a day you will do japa and meditation suddenly japa and meditation is tasteless everything will become problematic suddenly the food and the bhiksha it is so poor and tasteless food at the home was much better if i get uh, if i if i can get get some groceries and cook i can do a much better job you see the how slowly samsara begins to enter talking with people there is nobody to talk to i know for two months nobody literally no human being once in a day you'll go you'll see some human beings otherwise you stay on the other side of the ganga where the pilgrims are not there only monks stay there hour after hour day after day week after week you literally not see a human face and it's a, a stunning kind of solitude which is very good if you want it thing is will immediately say yes yes we want it we want that peace you think you want it but <laughs> after some time so there was a monk a brahmachari in, in banaras uh, who grumbled about this is a common case in our ashram we see who grumbled about so much work so swami turiyanand ji the disciple of sri ramakrishna was there in banaras at that time and they said that the brahmachari says i don't like all this hospital this is a big hospital all this hospital work day and night hard work is there i don't like all this i came to meditate and study the shastras and all i want i want solitude so swami turiyanand said fine give him solitude give him a room he will stay in the room the condition is he has to stay in the room we will send him food yeah. the food will be put near his doorstep like being in a cell stay in the cell stay in the room 
And the brahmachari agreed, fine. Brahmachari is a novice. He agreed. He said, good, that's what I want. Of course, Turiyananji knew much better. After a week, seven days, seven days is quite a lot, he asked one of the monks, so how is that brahmachari doing? And they went and saw and they said that, oh, he's talking to the plant outside his window. <laughs> he's talking to the plant outside his window. <laughs> People start talking to themselves. They do that because um, the human company is not there. Nowadays, of course, people are always talking to themselves. It is, you know, because they have got the headsets and uh, phone and all of that. So always they seem to be talking to themselves. Nowadays, it's even worse because we are so connected day and night, you'll miss it. First thing in the mountains, you'll see uh, those connectivity. Tower is not reachable. There's no <laughs> connection. Disaster. No mobile, no internet, nothing. Then what will happen? Um, so there's no human relationship. No friends. You will begin to miss your enemies also. You will begin to see how much of an emotional support enemies also provide. Uh, no news. Of news. <laughs> So this becomes a problem if the mind is not purified. When the mind is purified, the same solitude is wonderful. The mind will plunge into thought, into meditation of God. When the mind is not purified, the same solitude will bite you. Literally, these are the words which were told, warned, a senior monk warned me. I went with the first flush of enthusiasms. I went to the highest possible place, the loneliest possible place. And little uh, ruined, not even a proper hut, a ruined hut, hut, log cabin. And I stayed there. There was another, luckily, there was another senior monk staying in a cabin, log cabin, just opposite mine. Eight-year-old monk who had been staying there for more than 40 years in the mountains. He called me once, young monk, what are you studying? And I'd taken only one book, my favorite, Ashtavakra, the highest non-dual man. <laughs> he saw and he said, okay, that's very good. Then he went inside his hut and he bought out Vishnu Shastranam. The thousand names of Vishnu, which is a very devotional text. And he said, Iskobi Padiya, please read this also. Both. Then he said something interesting in Hindi. He said, Nahito akela pan chubega. Uh, loneliness will, um, chubega means it will pierce you, like being pierced by a nail or a needle. Literally, loneliness will bite you. Why? The loneliness is there's nothing out, no problem outside at all. It's all in the mind. So if you're not human company, you need divine company. So the, the personal loving relationship you set up with God. There. I've told this story earlier also of um, a monk who was a great non-dualist. All day long from morning till afternoon, till the sunset, he would translate the Yoga Vashishta. He would stay in, in a hut near mine. So he would sit outside, spectacular scenery, um, towering mountains, glaciers running down. And uh, he, this monk is sitting and he had a long beard like Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings. And he would translate Yoga Vashishta, which is a very non-dualistic text. And in the evening, it was all dark. And I could hear a plaintive voice in the next hut. He would uh, chant for hours on end. Narayan, Narayan, Srimad, Narayan, Narayan, in the name of Narayana. I can still hear the voice. You know. He has passed away, that monk. 
so you see this combination of jnana and bhakti knowledge and devotion so yeah many many problems are there uh, when suddenly a person is left to oneself without proper preparation mind is still impure desires are in the mind there is a great desire to be free of everything and be alone and meditate on god but the mind that has not been purified so those conditionings the worldly desires are still there in the mind once you are left free without any structure no job to go to no family to take care of um, no even household to take care of mind is free what the mind will do is mind will not automatically run to god impure mind will just go back to its own impurities it will dig out problems from the past so these monks have nice stories about this this is a dog a mangy dog who had um, um, fleas in its um, coat and when it would go in the sun the fleas would bite so it would run into the shade and would sit down in the shade but in the shade it had a virus in the brain and the virus would start you know like they, they were in hindi they say keeda like little insect in the brain in its mind it would start biting and maddened by the those uh, you know that that pain it would run out into the sun again where the fleas would start biting and thus this is the condition of the impure mind go out into the world problems workplace problem now online workplace problem family problems uh, financial problems social problems news enough to infuriate you depending on your political views one group or the other will make you angry all throughout the day so this is the external fleas which will keep biting you you give it all up and retreat to the mountains and sit in meditation none of them are there but then the internal viruses will awaken them desires frustrations projects <laughs> once i go back i will lead my life in this way i can tell you from personal experience this is uh, then you start planning a perfect life once you go back to the ashram why are you even thinking of it why not make the best of what you are doing here because the mind is like that so impurity if it is not taken care of monastic life will be disastrous will actually become become worse than um, householder life very difficult that's why then in our ashrams when when new brahmacharis come they are immediately put under a strict structure we always have a strict structure in the ashram so strict structure when do you have to get up what do you do after getting up you go and meditate in a group they are very careful to observe make enforce these things one monk i know um he was a disciple of swami shivananda ji very rough old monk he is not particularly educated he used to look after the garden in in belurmat i saw him in his old age in swami nishthananda which means one whose de- delight is in in dedication in discipline he was very disciplined in his uh, i saw him in his 80s he had difficulty in walking but he would go regularly uh early morning even before we youngsters were there in the temple at 4 o'clock before the temple would open this old monk which would take him 15 20 minutes to walk from his room dragging himself to the temple he would go there he would sit in meditation he would start before all us youngsters and he would be sitting in meditation even when we had uh, gotten up and left 
um, he would go to all the temples, Swami Brahmananda temple, Vivekananda temple, Holy Mother's temple. Everywhere he would go to do pranams. The whole trip would take him maybe an hour or more because he couldn't walk well. Very simple, but very, very strict. He would scold. I also got nice scoldings from him. So all of us got good scoldings from him. Um, and I remember once he was scolding a, a, a brahmachari, novice, for making a mistake. And um, so the one way of helping a new newcomer would be to tell this monk that he's new. He doesn't know. He's new. And it's like, stop scolding him. That he's new. He didn't have this uh, dentures, you know, so his pronunciation would be very cute. In Bengali, new is notun. In you know, Hindi, you say nutan, notun. And he would say lotun. Lo, and that means new. And uh, so he was scolding a young brahmachari once and this old monk. I, I, I was also a brahmachari. I went and told him, oh, Swami, he's new. And they say, he's new, hoping that that would prevent the scolding. And the Swami, I got the blasting then. He turned to me glaring and he said, how long will he be new? How long is he going to be new? So uh, this, this dedication. He'd, he stayed in a room and there was an extra guest bed in that room. So if any visiting monk came. So once a young monk came to the monastery visiting from another ashram who was put up with this old monk in the same room. This young monk told me later that I was tired early in the morning when the bell rang for getting up just before four o'clock. Um, this old Swami was getting ready to go to the temple. I thought I would just sit in my bed and meditate, you know. I, I was tired. I just sit for some time and then I'd, I'd take another sneak in, another nap later on. So I sat in the bed and the old monk, he says, he glared at me as if he couldn't believe his eyes. Such a big temple right there. What are you doing sitting in the bed? Go! And he glared at me till I got up and you know dressed and then I went to the temple. He stood there with unblinkingly glaring at me. Why? Why? What is it? What are the, what is the necessity for all of this? This is structure. Then after the meditation, you go for chanting. All together again. Then you go for meals. It's I don't feel like eating. No. Even if you don't feel like eating, we were told. You go and sit there. Just sit there. Be with the monks. Observe the routines. Feel the, you know, follow the structure. One monk, senior monk told me, one of the best advice I got when I came to the monastery, um, the monk told me, follow the bell. Follow the bell. So neither more nor less. From morning till evening, till night, 26 bells in 24 hours. Bell to get up, bell to, for meditation, bell to take a bath, bell to study, bell to... So it's, uh, uh, it's very rigorous. But you just follow it. You don't have to do more than that. You have to get up at 3.40. Some used to get up at 2.30 in the a.m. in the morning. So you don't have to do that. Just do whatever is said by the bell, whatever is given in the routine. Some would try to do less. <laughs> Avoid and don't do that. What happens is once you do this, over time, our habits change. And the mind gets purified. And slowly, one begins to life, uh, like meditation. Uh, one is uh, happy with a strict routine. It becomes a habit. So one day when you are left alone to yourself, suppose you're staying in the mountains by yourself, you will still get up at 3.30 in the morning. 
you'll still sit for meditation at 4 a.m. There's nobody to tell you, nobody to ring a bell, nobody to yell at you or glare at you. It's tilt. So this kind of changing of the conditioning, this requires some initial practice, whether in the monastery or in uh, householder life. If, uh, now the life of a dedicated spiritual seeker in the householder life is actually easier because of the structure. You have certain responsibilities imposed on you. You can convert those responsibilities into karma yoga and it is good. Then what will happen? He gives the opposite case. Suppose the mind is prepared. Yoga yukta munir brahma nachirena adhigachati. Yoga yukta. One who has practiced um, karma yoga, then the conditioning will be changed. Good habits will replace the uh, bad habits. Um, a simple high life will be attractive. Naturally so. You will like it. I think I told you the story of a of the monk, I, I saw this terminally ill, dying in the hospital, in the ICU. It's difficult to make out whether it's morning or night or evening. It's always, it's all lit up always inside, all slightly dark. Uh, but the ICU staff, the doctors and the nurses on duty would notice that this monk would, who's dying, in a few days he'll be dead. He would get up exactly at 3.40 and he would struggle to sit up in the bed and start doing meditation by 4.00. How? It is just habit. Habit of 40-50 years. So, with the prepared mind, yoga yukta, then what will happen with the prepared mind? Meditation will seem attractive. Devotion, the love for God will come naturally. Not as, because the bell has rung, now I have to go and sit and sing. No. That is a, that is a preliminary thing. This is what Sri Ramakrishna used to call a fence. A fence is necessary around a plant. When you plant it, sapling, you put a fence around it. Otherwise, the goats and cows will come and eat it up. But once it grows into a mighty tree, Sri Ramakrishna says, you, can, you don't need a fence. You, uh, you can tie an elephant to that tree also. Nothing will happen to it. So in the same way, the mind has to be purified. Yoga yukta munir brahma nachire Such a person will enjoy the silence of the mountains. So I've seen both. I've seen um, in, in the mountains, I've seen both kinds. Monks who are whiling away their time, who cannot take the silence, who cannot take the loneliness, and they run away from there, who have gone crazy, mad, or the other way, who have really used it, wonderful uh, people, who enjoy the solitude. This monk I was telling, who writes, who is to uh, translate the yoga varsista in the morning, and uh, you'd sing Narayana, Narayana in the evening. I would go with him once in a while for you know, begging for food. This monk, um, so uh, I would see that he was Punjabi. So there's a, you know, people from Punjab would come, devotees, both Sikhs and Hindus would come. And the children would gather around him because he had this long beard and children found it fascinating. Uh, and, uh, and he was very good with kids, he'd laugh and joke. So I said to him once, so you are very happy, you know, like all these people are coming to meet you and all, but you've been here for 40 years now when, in the winter when there's nobody around and the snow, it is just snow and ice and howling winds all around. And for six months, you don't literally see a human face and it's, it's, and it's cold. It's really cold there. And it's like what is outside is also inside. 
then what do you do? And his answer was very interesting. He said, I am in joy now. And then in even greater joy. In Hindi he said, Ab mein hu, ji, tab aur bhi mein rehta <laughs> So I, I am very happy in the company of people and even happier when there is nobody around. So they enjoy solitude. They can talk to you if you go, but if you don't go also, they are happy not to talk to you for days, weeks, months. They can sit by themselves. Um, with eyes open and eyes closed, they are at peace. The opposite is with eyes closed and eyes open, like the dog running into the shade and running into the sunlight, not at peace. The difference is um, this preliminary practices. That's why in Vedanta they emphasize so much, sadhan chatushtai, vivek, vairagya, the sixfold treasures, and mumukshutvam, the intense desire to be free, the sixfold disciplines, and viveka and vairagya, the discernment between the eternal and non-eternal, and dispassion for the non-eternal. Then, let me see, there's a lot of activity going on in the chat before I go on to the next verse. Bill is asking here, Karma Yoga cannot take you all the way. No, remember, we are interpreting in a um, Vedantic, in an Advaitic structure. Advaitic structure, do you remember? Karma Yoga gives you purity of mind. Upasana, worship, which is a combination of Bhakti Yoga and, and uh, Raja Yoga or uh, Dhyana Yoga. It gives you concentration of mind. With a purified mind and a concentrated mind, you come to Jnana Yoga, which is study of Vedanta, Shravana, Manana, Nididhyasana, the self-inquiry, the self-inquiry part of it, which gives you enlightenment. So the first, the other yogas prepare the mind and self-inquiry gives you uh, enlightenment. Enlightenment leads to freedom, moksha. So, Jnana Yoga gives you, Shankaracharya is very clear about this. Karma, he insists, Karma Yoga cannot give you by itself. Just as it is unlikely that you will get to California if you start driving in a cab and then tell, you may get to California, but it will be a very difficult way of, uh, it's much better to take a plane. So, that is the um, Advaita Vedanta structure. I'm emphasizing that Advaita Vedanta structure. Why? Because if you see the original verses, they don't clearly mention such a structure. If you literally see what the verse said, if you just literally see, verse number four, Sankhya Yoga Prithag Bala Pravadanti Na Pandita. It's only children who say that knowledge and, um, you know, like Jnana Yoga and Karma Yoga, they are different. Wise people don't say that they are different. Ekam apyasthita samyak. If you hold on to one sincerely, ubhayor vindate palam, you will get the result of both. It seems a case could be made. Then in that case, isn't Krishna saying that uh, by karma yoga, if you hold on to karma yoga sincerely, you will get the result. You can either do jnana yoga or karma yoga uh, and get that result of enlightenment. So the structure is not very clear in um, what Krishna is saying. Krishna is, is, seems to have left it deliberately a little vague. You might say then, why even talk of a structure? You have to, because if you want to make sense of the whole Gita, you want to make sense of all the Upanishads, put it together in a one system, then you will see the clearly a structure will emerge. Uh, otherwise, you cannot make sense of it. Um, if ignorance is the problem, then knowledge is the solution. 
what will give you knowledge? The way of knowledge. That seems to be an easy equation. Why not the way of action? How can the way of action give you knowledge? Inquiry leads to knowledge. Self-inquiry leads to self-knowledge. And therefore, way of knowledge will give you um, self-knowledge. How can actions, no matter how good, lead to self-knowledge? So that kind of question will come up. And so you in Advaita Vedanta, you have a clear structure. But notice the original verses, Gita and Upanishad, are vague enough or are open-ended enough that you can have different structures. And that's why other schools of Vedanta come in. Vishishta Advaita gives you a different structure. Puts bhakti in there at the top. So, yes. Um, there's no straight answer to your question, but the answer is, if you're talking from an Advaitic perspective, if you ask a question, can Karma Yoga not take you all the way? Advaita will say, very clear answer, no, it cannot. There, if you press the question, that, but the verse does not say so exactly. There are other verses in the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, Krishna says to Arjuna, Janaka and others, you know, other great kings and princes, they have reached perfection by work. By work alone, karmana eva, by work alone, by activity alone, there are people like Janaka and others who have reached perfection. Now, what does Shankaracharya do there? He says perfection there means perfect purity of mind. And then with perfect purity of mind, you come to Vedanta class and uh, that will give you enlightenment. You can do that if you want. The original verses, however, are uh, much more open-ended that way. You can fit different structures. You need a structure. Otherwise, questions will remain. What is the nature of the problem? What is the solution? What are we doing here? So Bill, uh, I mean Bill Conrad, he wrote an email to me after last Wednesday's class, Vedantasar class. And his email, I'll read it out to you. It's interesting. Uh, I was thinking of discussing it in the next uh, Vedantasar class. Maybe I'll do that also. But the question he asks me is, is, So Bill is asking, while listening to today's lecture, that's Wednesday, the question occurred to me, in what way do these intellectual arguments help me in my spiritual life? Do they make my mind better able to meditate? Or do they only help me to think more clearly? Please answer this question in the next class, as I'm sure I'm not the only one who has thought this. Respectfully yours, Bill. <laughs> so yes, why is this question coming up at all? It's because... Bill has a different structure in his mind. So when you talk about the Buddhist concept of the self and the, the Prabhakara Mimamsa concept of the self, this school and that school, all that seems superfluous to him. The clue is in the next question he asks, will it make me help me to meditate better? So if you interrogate Bill, in your, uh, so what is your idea of spiritual life? What is your... Um, um, what is it that you are trying to achieve in spiritual life? He will say something like, by meditation I will realize God. Something like that. So he has a structure. The problem then is the restlessness of the mind. And the solution is the calmness, uh, serenity of the mind, the one-pointedness of mind. Then the, the method is meditation. That's a structure which I can infer from his questions. In that structure, 
studying Vedanta Sara and all the different schools of philosophy seems superfluous. Maybe it will just help him to think in a little different way. But then thinking better, even science can do that, help you to think more logically. No. Vedanta Sara, what we did in the Wednesday class, they have a very clear structure. Only if you accept that structure, then all of that, all of the rest makes sense. So everywhere there is a structure. In the path of jnana, what is the problem? What is the solution? The problem is ignorance. Ignorance of the reality, which is already there. Solution is knowledge of the reality. Then the sadhana or the practice will be jnana yoga. Shravana, manana, niridhyasana. Very clear. It will be an investigation into who am I? Then what the Buddhists thought of it, what the Mimamsakas thought of it, all of that will be pertinent. Whereas in the path of meditation, the problem is not ignorance as such. The problem is the uh, restlessness of the mind. There is ignorance and the knowledge is required for that in Patanjali Yoga Sutra that is there. But the prime problem is the restlessness of the mind. So the method will be to calm down the mind. Chitta vritti nirodhaha. And the knowledge will come by itself. So the emphasis has to be on calming down the mind. But that's the yogic approach. The devotee will come and say, tell you all this is superfluous, superfluous too difficult and probably unnecessary. So uh, probably unnecessary. God exists. The problem is you don't have faith in God. Have faith in God. Surrender to God. Love and worship and adore God. Your problem will be solved. Whatever is necessary, God will do for you. Perfectly all right. But that's a different structure. So these structures are important. You have, even if you say that, I don't want these structures. I'm just going to do what my guru told you. That's a structure. And if you have been initiated in the Ramakrishna Vivekananda tradition, then the guru who has given you a mantra, who has taught, taught you how to meditate, surely would have told you that bhakti is important, study, Vedantic study is important, service is important. All of those things are uh, it's part of our tradition. No guru will tell you only have to repeat the mantra and that's it, it's finished. No. Dimitri. So he struck with the core question. Is the self self-aware without the mind or any object? This question has to be broken down carefully. Not pertinent here today, but it's, it's a fundamental question. What do you mean by self-aware? What we normally mean by self-aware is, am I thinking about myself? In that sense, we are not self-aware most of the time. So, Dimitri, you have to think about this. What exactly is self-awareness? One kind of self-awareness would be the reflexive awareness of oneself, introspection. I'm aware of my own mental states. I'm aware of my own existence. Uh, consciously, deliberately looking inwards. That we don't do all the time. We often don't do it. Uh, we sometimes do it. If you are fully engaged in some activity, maybe you are a neurosurgeon performing a, an operation or you're playing tennis and you're completely absorbed in it, Mihai says in flow state, the mind is so absorbed in it that you lose awareness of the self. That I am somebody doing a particular action. We are, it often happens to us. A child absorbed in play, not even aware of one's own um, individual self-existence. Is that what you mean by self-awareness? 
or just uh, awareness bare awareness so yes the, the the reason why i was asking this question is that it seems like there is a role of a mind in the the whole game of uh, enlightenment Certainly. and the mind is essentially almost like uh like because i am uh, perceiving my thoughts the objects etc hence i am aware right. so but if there is no mind right no objects right like it's very difficult to express it in words but essentially is this uh, the, the the supreme self like i understand its existence its consciousness and its bliss existence right. is clear bliss is clear consciousness without any objects what does right. it mean so that that's where you have to distinguish consciousness from consciousness of something in philosophy mm-hmm. modern philosophy it is called intentional consciousness intentional means not about having an intention it's about being about something else so generally consciousness is about thoughts are about something mm-hmm. now the question being asked in vedanta is if you drop the something is mm-hmm. awareness still there mm-hmm. it's a simple way of looking at it i am aware and i am looking at you suppose i don't see you and i shut down my i shut down my eyes am i still there i would say yes take that little further i shut down all my sense organs am i still there i would say yes then my thoughts the verbally formed thoughts which i am having suppose i shut those down also am i still there well, probably i'm still there suppose i shut down all kinds of memories and ideas and even the sense of ego would i still be there if you continue that uh, that that trajectory which you have started if you can clearly see the difference between consciousness and all of these functions you would have to admit that consciousness is still there but it's just not doing anything there's nothing going on mm-hmm. there but that awareness is probably there a madhyamaka philosopher the kind of which we are talking about last time and we'll talk next time shunyavada the nagarjunian kind of philosopher would take what you have said and immediately prove the emptiness of both both concepts self and mind uh, you are asking with when the only when the mind is active do we have a sense of ourselves as conscious beings i'll repeat that mind is thinking something then only we are aware of not only the mind but immediately reflexively of ourselves as conscious beings aware of the mind we may verbalize it we may not verbalize it we may notice it we may not notice it but we become subjects and there is an object immediately nagarjuna will say they are mutually dependent they rise and fall together if this is that is and if that is this is and then uh, they are uh, both empty they are not um, independently real of each other that is the very definition of shunyata according to nagarjuna and they are both empty what does advaita vedanta do yeah uh, advaita vedanta first of all the sankhyan approach if you take sankhya says there is consciousness is independent and nature from the grossest physical nature to the subtlest part that is the mind is an independent entity and when they interact you have conscious experience but when they don't interact consciousness remains by itself without any conscious experience and uh, external nature also remains by itself gives no conscious experience to that subject but other subjects keep on interacting with it it's a pretty realistic way of looking at the world actually advaita vedanta takes that one step further 
Imagine then if that external universe up to the mind were nothing but the product of consciousness itself or with the appearance of consciousness itself. So the mind is not a second apart from consciousness on which it is depending to sort of bootstrap itself. It is one of the glories of consciousness itself, which it uses, let us say, to generate the subject-object experience. But without it also, without subject-object experience, the same consciousness continues, which we have in deep sleep or samadhi. Yeah. You just leave it right there. Let me go through the other questions. Pradeep Bose asks, uh, is karma yoga a necessary part of the path to realization? Yes. Someone living close to the airport may not need a cap. You're right. There would be some people who are highly qualified. Um, at some point, the very fact that by karma yoga, one gets purity of mind, then it means that there are some people who have purity of mind. Maybe a very few. It is true. There are people who have uh, attained the necessary purity of mind. Folks, especially monastic sadhakas, luckily enough to have holy company from an early age, supported by inborn good samskaras, may be able to board the Jnana Yoga plane right away. No, a few might be, like Totapuri, for example. So Totapuri did not have much sympathy for uh, other people, you know. But as Swami Saradanji mentions in his biography of Sri Ramakrishna, Totapuri did not realize it's by the grace of the Divine Mother. He was born with such good samskaras. From the childhood, he found holy company. He had such good, such a good mind and such a good health to take that kind of a rigorous life, um, a life of austerity and meditation and study. And uh, so he straight away enters into a perfect monastic kind of life. It's true. But monastic organizations, not just um, Vedantic, all monastic organizations, uh, Hindu, Buddhist, Christian, they have this wisdom with, with them that they know that those who are coming to monastic life, many of them will not be fully prepared for monastic life. So a kind of structure is very much necessary, which will replace the structure of householder life. That's why ashram work. Ashrams put on a, a very strict structure. Once you enter a monastic life, there are, even the rules of sannyasa uh, are for whom? Those who have become monks to become enlightened, not already enlightened. So become monks to become enlightened, have, uh, if they already have the qualifications, that life will be easy for them. If they don't have the qualifications, not yet, but they already become a monk, then they'll have to struggle with those practices, with those disciplines, with that structure, till they attain the necessary qualifications. I know even till today, it's a fact. Swami Bhuteshanji also said, it, uh, when he wanted to go away into the mountains and meditate by himself, leaving the ashram, uh, Swami Shivanandaji told him, very good, you will go, but prepare yourself first. Prepare yourself first means what? Prepare yourself in the ashram first. Intensely austere life, speaking less and less, or not, not interacting with people, keeping your mind on God, regardless of whatever is happening in the world outside. When the mind is prepared like that and is focused, inward, introverted, go to an environment like the Himalayas or somewhere or in Narmada or one of those holy places, you can live very well. We were also told that um, I was myself told by a wise monk. I mean, I, when the first time I left, I was like, I'm going and I'm not going to come back. 
<laughs> so wise old monk uh, said um oh don't say things like that you go and he was the one who was my head in the ashram so he had the authority to say yes or no so he said you go for two months and then at the end of two months if you um think that more is good for you you can stay like that in the mountains uh, and you are really progressing spiritually write to me i'll give you two more months but if you feel be honest if you feel that that's it now it's becoming very humdrum and i'm uh, not making spiritual progress then come back to the ashram and work here stay in the ashram and stay with us and work once in a while you can go there so that's a much wiser course for more average people like us there might be a person who might go holy mother said to some of the monks that you know narayan and rakhal vivekananda brahmananda they don't need these monasteries and ashrams they have started it for you young boys who are coming they are people who can remain remain absorbed in samadhi so they don't they don't need uh, ashrams and monasteries and even the work all this is good for you that's why he started it Uh, Pravir Babu is asking in the path of jnana, can the goal be moksha since we are liberated? Isn't the goal removing ignorance? Yes, that is moksha. In the path of jnana, you're correct. The precise goal in the path of jnana is generating knowledge that we are Brahman. And so moksha is ever there. That's why in Vedanta they say, praptasya prapti. What you already have, you get that. then he said we but you remove ignorance right but ignorance was also never really there so what you what was never there is removed and what was always there is is attained it's crazy brahma uh, advaita vedanta vishwanathan asks regarding the four classifications of people there are individuals who live ethical materialistic lives but are completely atheistic agnostic they can sometimes make a jump to the sadhaka level due to suffering true true encouraged by the fact that advaita is more friendly than conventional religion agnostics atheists that is true there be many people have seen coming to advaita who are otherwise not interested in conventional religion but they make the jump but they are they were generally good people one it's difficult to make a jump from being an absolute villain uh, and then becoming a buddha straight away from Uh, um scam or a ponzi scheme and then become uh, a buddha uh, something like that no uh, this is difficult there are a few examples by the very gra- grace of you know guru or by the grace of god someone a robber becomes or decoyed becomes a spiritual seeker a few examples are there and there are sadhakas who are unethical and even those who are atheists So Sam Harris is an atheist. Yes, I don't know about Sam Harris, but literally atheist. Then all Buddhists in that sense would be atheistic. Theistic means believing in in a personal god. So Buddhist or a Jain, for example, is atheistic in the sense that they don't believe in a personal god, but they are definitely spiritual seekers. Gabriel says Sam Harris seems to be very concerned with ethics. Yes, certainly. Rick says, "True, these categories can be mixed every which way." Yes, and to some extent, uh, the the categories are not airtight. Are you saying Samaris is unethical? No, Samaris is not unethical. 
Nirjari says, can one not be just a sadhaka, but also have a clear goal of moksha? Can one not just be a sadhaka, but not have a clear goal of moksha? Yes, one can be. One can be completely devoted to God and not particularly um, concerned with the theological aspects of what exactly is moksha. I just love God and that's why. One can be like that. All right. Is uh, Gita Devi asking, is Lord Krishna talking about Sadhana Jyotishta here? Without preparation, the mind is difficult to control. It will come next. Sadhana Jyotishta is being talked about actually. Ramya says, Swamiji pranams with today's class. I think we have begun to appreciate the importance of Atmano Moksha Artham Jagatitayacha. Yes, welfare of uh, the world and one's own liberation. The two are not two separate goals. It's it's actually the same philosophy. It's good that you have noticed it. The same philosophy, Sankhya and Yoga, Sannyasa and Grihastashrama. In or in another way, uh, the welfare of the world and one spiritual enlightenment. They are not separate things. Like Jesus says that uh, um, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy might. That's one. But also love thy neighbor. So two, two things are always given there. Okay. Let us stop here. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu <laughs>